Player One. I am Dem and I am here once again with Beck, Nathan, Jacob and a special guest. You may know him in fact. A musician, comedian and theatrical, that is the wrong word. <laughs> Theatri- are you theatrical? I feel like you're theatrical. I meant theoretical. I'll roll with it. Theatrical. It's going well. Give it a another spin. Give it another physicist. spin. <laughs> yeah, I'll just keep saying it until it eventually comes out. A theory and theoretical physicist from NSP, Starbomb, and more. The definition of the strong and silent type with a PhD title that really does just roll off the tongue. Please welcome Brian Wecht or Ninja Brian. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. Great to have you. Thank you for joining the show, of course. Dem? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed and I'm up first, so let's rumble. Let's get some <laughs> questions. So, of course, you've done a lot of stuff with the Game Grumps, and we're a video game show, so where to, where to start, but with video games. So are you into video games? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been into video games since I was a kid. I had an Atari 2600 and an original NES and, you know, all the old school, like, you know, early 80s, mid 80s game stuff, and I've uh, I had to take a little break when I was in grad school just because of, uh, you know, I had to do like work. Uh, but uh, I've been gaming throughout and yeah. And now I play video games with my daughter who is just turned seven. And so I'm gaming with her now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so nice. Are there any favorites yeah. amongst the fan? Uh, she, well, she's a big Mario fan, of course. Uh, right now she's really into, she just hit an age where she can play like completely by herself. And the big thing was now she can read, right? So once she could start to read, then it was like, all right, she can just go. So she's really into Stardew Valley right now. She loves, she has her own little farm and we played it together a couple of years ago, but I had to read everything to her and now she can read by herself. So she loves that. And then any, any Mario game, she's very into Odyssey uh right now we've been playing cuphead together uh which Uh. is cuphead is like one of my all-time favorite games i just love it so much uh so hot though (laughs) it is really really hard i'm trying to tell me if you think this is this is just maybe a, a a justification but um I, I feel like it's good for her to watch something that rewards perseverance. You know what I mean? And it's so hard that there's just no way to do well at it right away until you've died like a hundred times with each pause or whatever. So I feel like it's kind of teaching her perseverance, even though she she's too little to play it. Like for a seven-year-old, it's way too hard, but she can watch me fail over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Uh, and we played it a couple of years ago, but I, I actually just replayed the whole thing uh, in the last week or so. Um, oh, so wow. I and we actually that the the music for that is just unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah. Amazing. Christopher Madigan uh, wrote the wrote the score, and it's just one of my favorite thing. I mean, live band, you know, all recorded in this old school kind of like twenties, thirties big band style. I just think it's some of the best video game music ever. It's so yeah. fantastic. Would you call him one of your favorite composers, perhaps? 
Well, I don't know. You know, I, I, I love this particular score. I don't know anything else he's done, but yeah, I mean, just based on this for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, I think the cuphead score is really an amazing achievement. Not amazing. Well, yeah. if we jump onto some of your characters and your works, how did you come up with the character you're most well-known for Ninja Brian? That was, so that was with my uh, comedy partner, Dan Avedan. Uh, for our band NSP and it was so we came up with the can I say the full band name on the air yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, the band name full band name is Ninja Sex Party and that was Danny's idea essentially before we ever met he was like someday I want to be in a band called Ninja Sex Party and then when we started trying to come up with what what is this band we met through like a friend of a friend uh, you know, he was like, well, he, I think I'm, you know, I, 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 Brian, I'm not a singer. So it was pretty clear that he would be the voice and I would be the, you know, the instrumentalist. Uh, and he was like, well, you know, I, obviously I'm going to sing. And we thought, what would be a fun other character to have? Or there's ninja in the band. So probably I'm a ninja and then, and I'm playing the piano. Uh, and then it was just like, you know, there was a bit of, discussion early on do i ever take the costume off am i like masked sometimes do i talk and eventually we just decided it was more fun to have a character that was just the ninja all the time and never spoke uh it seemed like a more fun choice for the comedy uh e even if it meant that you know no one ever knew what i looked like so but whatever it was funnier <laughs> and so we just decided you know and then through the course of doing i think we just did our so we're somewhere in between our 50 and 60th music video because we've been at it for like 12 years at this point. Uh, you know, the character kind of grows and stuff gets added on uh, as more and more videos happen. So the initial idea was Ninja. Then that became always in costume, silent Ninja. And then there have been various other character traits. Like uh, to me, the most important one that I have to remember is uh, Ninja Brian doesn't blink. And in no videos, do a take where I blink. I have to say, scrap it. I blinked in that one. We're going to have to use a different take. It just became... <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm going to have to cut that one there. I blinked. I'm, I'm sorry. It, That's on me. Yeah, totally. You know, it, it really is. And sometimes I'm so... I don't know if... It, this is not an experience I think most people have. When you're really trying not to blink, there comes a point where you can't tell if you just blinked or not because you're kind of like... Your eyes are like going crazy and you can't tell if you're like you're twitching or blinking or... It, yeah, it, it gets to be a, a thing. <laughs> if I may, I will just jump in and ask. Please. So obviously the, the character's kind of well-known as well for uh, the double, um, I'll say the double salute, the, uh, the double bird. How did <laughs> that come along? Because that's very um, iconic now. You know, I, I can't remember. It feels like it's been, always been there. It definitely wasn't at the beginning. Um, I, I think... I don't, I, you know, I unfortunately don't have a great story for you, but the, the basic idea, you know, if you can't talk, there's only so much you can do and you get to, you know, it's like body acting or like eye acting kind of stuff. And at some point it was clear that Ninja Brian was just a complete sociopath. So it seemed like the natural thing for him to do is just flip everyone off. And it became the, the fun part about that is once we so we started with a lot of live performing in comedy clubs in New York. And then when we were living in different places, there wasn't so much live stuff. And then once we started doing 
performing again in bigger shows like flipping people off just became a great way to engage with the crowd and you can you know point at people in the back of the room and throw them the bird it's it's great so it became a fun thing to do at concerts too hmm. Amazing. Super engaging, I feel. Like people would just be like, yeah, right back at you, pal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and what I love also, anytime something negative gets appropriated for positive ends, I think it's awesome. And so there's this kind of aggressive symbol, you know, flipping someone uh, the middle finger, which now has become this kind of bonding, like, hey, yeah, we're all flipping each other off sort of thing. And I, I, I love that recontextualization uh, of what, you know, could be if you just did it to someone on the street, a fairly aggressive gesture. But in the context of uh, of NSP, it it's like this this nice thing. People, you know, people see me on the street and flip me off. It's you great. Say that's the number one thing people do to you on the street. Uh, it, if they see me, there's a, it, I mean, it's not like I'm getting recognized all the time, first of all, but if they do know who I am, there's a bunch of like, okay, don't kill me. Uh, that's probably the number <laughs> one. Uh, and then go over really well sometimes just in oh, like yeah. high security situations. Like, <laughs> That's right. If people don't know, I mean, usually it's not like surrounded by people who, who know what this is about. And they're like, why, why do you think this guy is going to murder you? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the other thing is if people want pictures, there's a lot of like, yeah, stare at me weirdly or flip me off or, or that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Love that. On a completely yeah. different note, completely yeah. going away from all of this. Um, we've heard on the grapevine and we're not sure, mm -hmm. but we've heard you have a PhD. Oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, as a as a student radio station, we have a lot of we have a lot of students here. Everyone here has studied or is studying, and we were just wondering if you had any experiences you'd like to share on that. Um, well, uh, so yeah, so I, I went through, you know, undergraduate and then grad school for six years where I got my PhD in, uh, in physics and experience, like, what can I say, uh, experiences wise, uh, for me, it was a really fun and rewarding and difficult experience. So I went to university of California, San Diego for my, uh, for my PhD and it was great. I, you know, I, uh, it's in theoretical physics, which means I wasn't in a lab, I could kind of, I was pretty portable. I had an office, but I could kind of do it wherever. I had a great, actually, it was pretty amazing being a grad student in San Diego. So I don't know if you know anything about San Diego, but it is basically the city with the most perfect weather maybe in the world. And it's just beautiful, like all the time. So I would take a stack of papers down to the beach, which was 10 minutes away from my office, maybe. And I, I bought a little like, you know, kind of rinky dink beach chair and I would, Sometimes uh, if I didn't have to teach or whatever, just go down to the beach with a stack of papers and just sit and look at the Pacific Ocean and read physics papers. And it's, you know, that mo most people who are in grad school are like stuck in a library or you're in a lab or something. Yeah, it's if you're an experimentalist or doing something that requires actual like, you know, you got to be there kind of stuff. That's that's way different than than what I went through, which is you could kind of do it wherever. And as long as you got the work done, I mean, I needed like a computer and I had to run calculations and stuff. It wasn't like I spent every day at the beach just hanging out. But uh, one of the nice things is occasionally if I was like, okay, I just need, this is the time I'm going to just read a paper. No, well, might as well do it at the beach today. So that was, that was, that was, that was really nice. 
Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. Um, in Melbourne, it's grey every day. It's a it's a great uh, place to go if you don't want to go outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mel- Melbourne weather like changes every five minutes. Four seasons in uh, one day. Four yeah. seasons yeah. in one day. So it's, I, it's gonna rain. <laughs> <laughs> Off the back uh, of Melbourne, though, um, obviously you did tour uh, Australia. Um, for those who can't, can't see the video, there is uh, a poster in the back, and Beck's got the going down under T-shirt. Yeah. Um, how was that experience traveling through Australia for um, not only a show, but um, just in general for, I guess, the difference in crowds and um, I guess just have, how, what did you do? How'd you, how'd you survive down here? Uh, it, we had a great time in Australia. I'd never been before. Um, and I've, I've always wanted to, to visit P- partly because in my, in my particular field of physics, I, I went a lot around the world, but would only go when there were places to do theoretical physics. And in my particular field, there wasn't ever a lot in Australia. It's not that there's none, but you know, it's a long enough trip from where I was, US and Western Europe, that I never got to go there for science. So I was very excited to go for uh, you know, for a tour. We didn't have a lot of downtime, honestly. Uh, you know, and obviously because of how big your country is, we flew everywhere. So we had to take this team of like whatever it was, 12 people with, you know, God knows how many instruments flying from airport to airport, loading everything in and out. So we didn't have a lot of like leisure time. Um, I'm trying to remember any, what, what were some particularly memorable things? I actually, the, the big bummer to me of the trip was we had, I think less than 24 hours in Melbourne specifically. Like we landed, went to the venue and had to leave at 6 a.m. the next morning for a flight to God, where was it? I can't even, I think we were going to Auckland uh, from there. So we had in, in what I have been told by numerous people is the coolest city in the country. We got to do literally nothing. I went to a bookstore. That's what I did. I went to a bookstore two blocks away from the venue. And that was my experience. Like, and I was so there are some good bookstores in Melbourne though. I have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 God, I, you guys, I'm sure will know the one I'm talking about. Uh, where I can't remember what the name of the venue was. It was about two blocks in there and had an escalator going down. It was like a two floor bookstore. Uh, was it Minotaur? That's possible. I. Did it sell lots of like comic books and stuff? Uh, not, uh, not that I recall. Okay, not but that one then. <laughs> I remember a, a two-story bookstore, uh, and you go in on the upper floor and then take the escalator down. Um, it, it was pretty big, and but that's all. My, my first thing any any time we go to a city is look for the cool bookstores. And uh, uh, yeah, and I, I will ask just as well, just on the back of that as well. Obviously, traveling. You mentioned the instruments. When you traveled, you had uh, TWRP uh, Tupperware Remix Party with you. Um, did you ever get any? Uh, fun questions from airport staff about the costumes or anything coming with you. Because I imagine that would have been a conversation in of, in of itself. I think we didn't really, they've seen so much. If you work at an airport, you have seen everything. So the, the, the confusing thing that we got is, you know, every immigration slash customs person has kind of a different, like, understanding of what the rules for, for equipment are so it was always like okay wh- what are you guys bringing in and it, 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 that was the main thing no one ever acted super weird uh twerp twrp does have very nice notes in their costume like uh chests and their in their uh in their suitcases for those which are these big like you remember uh doc brown's uh big yellow cases from back to the future they look like that 
and they have you know, so they're the giant you know it's like they're like a meter long or something there are these big cases with all these costumes in it and it says you know dear uh security you know in the usa it's the tsa but uh dear tsa or security please be nice to these costumes we don't have uh more but but to go back to your original question the, the crowds in australia were amazing like just super supportive and fun we every show we we went to we felt the love and it was the kind of like as soon as we left we were like we gotta come back and this was such a great experience uh, it, it, you know, we wish we had been able to schedule, you know, a, a few more dates and, and stay, stay a bit longer. So we, we had a really, really great time. Yeah. Um, I guess I, again, about the, um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the instruments again, I guess, um, for like, uh, a lot of the earlier, uh, Ninja Sex Party stuff, um, you were playing, like all the instruments um like was it hard learning all those instruments like i can't even learn one <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i cheated which because i pretty i did them all digitally so i didn't need to learn guitar or bass i'm not a string player at all uh the instruments i play are piano and uh in woodwinds mainly saxophone um and i can't even remember if we used the sax on any NSP songs, but yeah, so I did everything digitally. So I didn't actually have to learn any of the instruments. I could just find decent uh, patches, you know, uh, synthetic instruments, synthesized instruments on the, uh, on the software I was using. So, but actually that's a big part of the reason that NSP became basically a synth rock band because a lot of the guitars and horns on you know, digitally sound terrible. Like they're just awful. And I didn't have the the money. And if you get the really good ones are really expensive. I couldn't afford like an amazing, you know, guitar sound or whatever. So the, the sounds we could get that to sound the best that we could also afford were synthesizers. And that's really why we kind of ended up being a, a, a synth pop uh, focused sort of, sort of act. It's because that's the stuff I could get to sound good on my own. Amazing. I mean, Hans Zimmer is a classic, uh, classic synthesizer user. Synth oh yeah, synthesizer user, synth user. Um, so like anything can be done with a synth. I don't know, man. I feel that's like right. that's a pretty good vibe. <laughs> oh, yeah, like and and it was also you know we were big '80s music fans anyway, and so it really fit with our aesthetic. Uh, but yeah, no synthesizers. I mean, it's such a broad term, right? A synth can be basically anything these days, you know. Exactly. Yes. It's I'm, I'm a very big fan of um, synthesizer music, I must admit, and also an equally big fan of Ninja Sex Party for about nine years now. And I'd love to ask oh, wow. questions yes, about that. Uh, you guys got me through a lot of exams and studying, just sitting there doing my postgraduate studies, listening to Ninja Sex Party on repeat. And I wouldn't know after listening to all those albums, how has your process for writing songs and making albums evolved over the years? Yeah, it's it's very very different now. Well, first of all, so if you if you're talking nine years, so this is pre Grumps for you, right? Like, so you knew NSP yeah. well. That's that's old school. Uh, the so originally it was just me and my partner Dan, and we would just sit in the room and just come up with stuff. So in the very early days, we would meet in a grungy rehearsal studio somewhere in Manhattan with a out of tune upright piano. 
and just try to, you know, just figure, figure some stuff out. And then we were mainly a live act. So it was like, okay, what are these? We wrote the songs to be performed live. Then when we started doing more stuff for YouTube and started thinking of them more as recorded like studio things rather than live things, it's a bit more freeing, right? You can kind of do whatever because you can do overdubs and you don't have to worry so much about breathing when you sing. And, but then it was still mainly me and him Uh, for a while, like two or three years after NSP started, I had to move away from my academic job. And then we were writing remotely for a while and just like sending tracks back and forth. So for three years, I lived in London when Dan was in LA And so we were kind of about eight, nine hours apart in terms of time zones. And so I would write tracks and then send them to him and I would get his notes just as my day was starting and vice versa. And of course we had jobs and stuff. It wasn't like we spent all day writing, but there was a lot of emailing uh, back and forth. And now uh, when I moved to uh, LA, we almost immediately got a producer who also became a co-writer. His name is Jim Roach. And he's a very experienced musician and comedy musician. And now the songwriting process is the three of us. And generally speaking, it's music first, lyrics second. Uh, So Jim and I will come up with some kind of riff or whatever. It's just some kind of musical idea and say to Danny, hey, what do you you think about this? You feeling this? Blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we'll have a title in mind. Sometimes we won't. We have a list of like a thousand terrible song titles that we've accumulated over the years and we'll often just put them up you know on a screen and be like oh, that that one it always sound, sounded good but let, let's try to aim for that today uh yeah, so, um, yeah sorry nathan go ahead yeah. sorry i think one of the um star bomb songs you wrote um was actually basically um a thing where you go through all the like discarded song ideas and pick one right. <laughs> yeah, the, the last Starbomb song we wrote in fact literally the the last one and what will probably be like the last ever Starbomb song because uh, we don't have any real plans to make another album with that we just went through uh, a google doc full of terrible ideas that we weren't funny enough to turn into uh full songs and just said you know what this is a great idea for a song so let's just let's burn these uh, and put them into in, in service for making a, a better song than any of them would be individually. Yeah. I just have, I just have a question before I get to the more serious questions. Um, the song Road Trip, personal yes. theory. I've always wondered if that song was kind of written around the line, I Bangladesh, because it kind of really said, <laughs> please, please answer this one for me. Uh, it, w- it was not. Uh, that was when we were, so I, I wrote that line. That's one of mine. Um, and it was one of the, like, we were just trying to come up with funny ways of saying we had sex in different countries and we came up, you know, we have an email of probably like 30 of these and half of them didn't even make it into the song, but no, it, the, the idea was what was really, what if we went on a road trip where, you know, Danny had sex in a bunch of different countries around the world, that, that was the genesis for the song. And then it was like, okay, can we turn these into jokes? Yes, we can. And then I Bangladesh was, uh, was, was one of my, I have an email with, with a bunch of them and that's, that was still my, my favorite. Yeah. That is a very good line. Thank you for giving that. <laughs> you know, it's um, rare with these things, it, it, you know, often we don't remember who wrote what, 
it's very hard. Like, you know, a lot of times you're just in the room and ideas are bouncing back and forth. But in this particular case, yeah, I can remember coming up with it. So in terms of Ninja Sex Party, um, I know that covers sort of came into the picture in a big way for you guys. What role do you think covers played in your career as a band? It was a pretty, it was a pretty big one. Uh, we, it, the covers have done a few things for us. One is they gave us a way initially. So our, our covers were, let's see, we did uh, the last unicorn first, uh, which Danny wanted to do not only because he likes the, the film, but also because there was, it was kind of a benefit to draw, uh, raise a, awareness of something going on with the, with the movie. Um, and we did that. And then we had start. we had contacted Twerp, who is now our backing band and session musicians. And the covers allowed us to have a kind of low stakes way of trying to work with them and just seeing like, Hey, do we vibe with these guys? Like what happens if we just like try, try something and see how it goes. Uh, and so it gave us a way to, it gave us basically an in with those guys where we didn't have to worry about writing music with them or, or anything like that. Just like, Hey, let's do take on me and see how it goes. Um, and the other thing it did is it basically allowed us to have more time between original albums. Cause the original albums, despite, you know, it, it's kind of a deceptive thing because the albums are not that long. They're like half an hour, but they take a really long time to write and record and everything. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard to write comedy songs, uh, at least ones that we're happy with, you know? So the cover albums, putting a cover album kind of in between original albums gives us time to, uh, gives us more time to write the songs. And part of that is taking time away so you can kind of clear your head and get rid of all the cobwebs and say, okay, I'm not going to think about, you know, comedy songs for whatever, six months. We're just going to take a little break and concentrate on the covers right now. And then we'll come back fresh with lots of new ideas when we really sit down to start, start writing it. Uh, so they've been, they've been really, really important for us. And it's just, it's also another way of, uh, of having stuff to, to put out there, which is, you know, what every YouTuber lives and dies by. So the fact that we can do the comedy songs in addition to the cover songs, it's like, we can kind of diversify and say, okay, well, we don't really, we're not doing a comedy video right now, but we can do a cover video. So it gave us more opportunity to, uh, to just have stuff to put out. Yeah, well, I mean, I've definitely, as I mentioned before, I've listened to Ninja Sex Party for a long time, and I've really watched you guys sort of climb quite significantly in, into sort of this amazing level of popularity you guys have now. You were on Conan O'Brien. How was that? Was that surreal for you? Yeah, it was weird. I'm a huge Conan fan. Uh, I love him so much. I have for for many, many years. I mean, I've watched him since college. Uh, and to get that offer to play that show and to be there with Conan and Andy and like, it, it was wild. Yeah. And they, the people on that show, including Conan and Andy could not have been kinder or more supportive. They were just like, you know, they, they were so great to, to work with while we were playing the set, we, we were looking out and Conan was like dancing behind the cameras in a way that like the, you know, the at home audience couldn't see, but we could see, we were like, Oh, he's like, he's into it. He loves it. This is so great. Uh, and yeah, it, it was a, it was an amazing experience. And it was the one, I think the most nervous I've been ever doing a ninja sex party thing because it's, you know, that's like, 
international television, right? Like this is, it's not just, you know, and it's not really edited or anything like that. You do it, that's it. And it's not like making a music video where you can go back and forth and say, okay, let's not use that take, blah, blah, blah. It's like, let's play it. And then it's just there. So doing, it's not live, but it's one step removed from live. And it was very scary. I remember like being about to start and this, this never happens to me, even when we're performing for, you know, thousands of people live, I don't really get nervous, but I remember looking down and my hands were, were shaking and I was like, this is, this is scary, you know, but it, and it, it wasn't because of any, anything people at the show were doing. It was just like, whoa, this, this feels like a big opportunity, uh, which I, which I think it was. It was amazing. I remember seeing it and being like, wow, these guys have like made it, like, like made it, made it. Like this is, they, they are up there now. Like, this is amazing. I think that was yeah. the first time I heard Danny, don't you know? And I was like, this song oh, really? is sick. Oh, thanks. I, I thought it was a very, I, one of my favorites, I think. We, we were, we were curious about that because if someone has, if someone was not familiar with the band, it's kind of a weird in, I guess. So we were like, I mean, the, the, you know, the way it works is they say, we want you to come on the show and play this song. And we were like, yes, we will come on your show and play that song. But uh, we were always curious if, uh, if for someone who didn't know the band, this is the first thing they heard, they'd be like, who's Danny? And why should I care? Like what? Yeah. You know? But uh, but that's, that's that's great to hear because it's uh, that, that was one of our concerns. Yeah, I definitely think you get away with it because like it's like, you know, um, you know, like the Michael Jackson song um, that I've completely forgotten the name of, you know, like Annie, Annie, are you OK? It's like, who's Annie? I mean, oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. If I may, I will just jump in and ask. You mentioned it before and I will get to it before we get too far away from it. You mentioned Twerp um, and the fact you worked with them. How did meeting them? Uh, come across because they on paper they seem like a, a band that uh, would not necessarily work too close with a comedy band but at the same time they also do yeah so we met them because uh, both bands had the word party in our name and it was kind of googling I think Danny was googling ninja sex party and just saw Tupperware remix party uh, which is now no longer their name now they're just TWRP uh, but uh, it was that party connection. And then I think Danny reached out to them and was like, Hey guys, I watched, you know, we saw this music of yours and we love it. Like, and that's it. They're literally just like, you did, you did a cool thing. Hi. And then, you know, we kind of struck up a conversation and then when they, we, we, you know, found an opportunity to like hang out with them at some point they visited LA and it was, it's kind of a, a very natural fit because although they're, you know, they're not a comedy band, they are, a lot of their songs are very funny uh, in, in more like subtle ways than, than ours, but they're a little, a little wry, you know, they're, they're, there's kind of a comedic element to them. Uh, some of the stuff they've been doing recently is, it, it's, it's definitely not parody, but it is, you know, it's kind of like smooth jazz stuff or, or like yacht rock stuff uh, that they're reviewing with. They want to make it really good, but also kind of pointing out the innate ridiculousness of some of the conventions of the genre. So I think there is a lot of overlap there. They're also extremely versatile musicians who can play successfully in any style whatsoever. 
And that's one of the things that we try to do is we do try to mix up the styles a lot. You know, we'll do like uh, on the last album, you know, we have like kind of a prog rock song. We have an acoustic thing. Uh, we have like a kind of slow jam. Uh, we have a kind of like a Metallica thing. Like we try to move the styles around uh, quite a bit and Torp can keep up with, with all of them. And in fact, make us better because they're incredible people and musicians. I've got kind of a music nerd question. What's your, what kind of setup are you guys working with? Like in terms of, in terms here? of what? Um, in terms of like instruments, um, programs, gear, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So we, let's see when we're in the, the studio, we usually, our go-to studio in, in LA here has been sunset sound, which has a bunch of different amazing rigs. Um, and we'll just, I, I'm not knowledgeable enough about guitar stuff to talk about any of that intelligently, but uh, we did record most recently in, I always forget the numbers. I think it's Studio 2 in Sunset Sound, which was where Purple Rain was recorded and, you know, a bunch of classic Prince albums. And so Sunset Sound is, everyone's recorded there. Elton John, Led Zeppelin, uh, Boingo did some stuff. Like, it's just incredible. Uh, we usually engineer Jim Roach engineers, most of our stuff on pro tools, uh, for synths. I know Dr. Sung uses a profit. Um, I generally on the NSP stuff, I'm most of the synths I use are, uh, are on the logic, uh, program, which is the apples. It's like the, you know, professional garage band program, but I do use some native instruments, uh, synths as well. And then we'll, you know, we're not too picky about what amazing grand piano happens to be in the in the studio, but it's always some like amazing Steinway or 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 something like that. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know anything about you know the amps or pedals or, or stuff like that 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 Twerp uh, uses, but we do try to do a bunch of uh, a bunch of different stuff that I won't be able to intelligently talk <laughs> talk about i don't know if that answered your question it did all. that was what i was after and i guess also sort of changing tracks again i was kind of interested to know about like where if you guys were particularly inspired by any other comedy bands or artists like weird al or anything like that or tenacious d so for me weird al will always be the big one uh, I grew up listening to Al and, you know, I just, I, I love, love what he does. I think he's an incredible musician and uh, just a, just, just amazing across the board. I think he's still really, really funny. I've seen, I've seen him live like five or six times, including as recently as a couple of years ago. And still, you know, he's every bit as great as he was, you know, back in the early eighties. Uh, so weird. I was a big one. Tenacious D huge, huge influence for sure. Uh, when we were starting out with NSP, Flight of the Concords was a really, really big influence on both of us. Um, uh, they were probably, of all the bands out there, they were the closest to like, that's the vibe we want in a live show. Like, you know, two people, uh, obviously they're both playing instruments and singing, but with us, it was one, you know, me playing keys and, and Dan singing, but that was the, they, they had a, you know, their show was on just then the first season of their show. And they were a big, big uh, uh, inspiration for us. Uh, another band steel Panther was in terms of like, especially their production, because they're basically like heavy metal style stuff, but they nail the sound so well. I remember 
recording a, an early NSP video and being like, do you hear what this comedy band, like how great these guys sound? Like they crush this style. Uh, they were, they were a super big one. I'm trying to think of who else uh, comedy wise. Those are, those are, those are the big ones um, for sure. And then just a bunch of other, you know, comedy musicians, uh, you know, little, little one-off things. I was a big, I don't know if you guys know Dr. Demento, but you know, it was like classic comedy musician kind of impresario who was the nexus for a lot of comedy music. Um, oh, another big one for me was Stan Freeberg, who was uh, big mainly in the sixties with a bunch of parody stuff, but also had some really great big band uh, things. I love Stan Freeberg so much. Um, yeah, but all, a, a lot of this, not so much uh, Tenacious D, Concords, but a lot of the other stuff all flowed through Dr. Demento and me getting Dr. Demento albums and listening to the show and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, recently, um, speaking of music, I guess still, uh, the Mystic Crystal came out. Can you tell us a bit about the writing process behind that and the story behind its release? Yeah. So that's our, it's our 12, 13, I can't remember ish minute song. Um, and we, so we had on, uh, uh, our album Attitude City, we had like a nine or 10 minute song called 6969, which was also a big, like very Rush inspired, not Russian inspired, but Rush inspired song, kind of like 2112. You know, there's a dystopian future where sex is illegal and we travel to it and bring it back, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, just like 2112 is with music. And we knew we wanted to at some point write another like epic song. And we sat down to start, this is our first writing session with our producer, Jim Roach for uh, what was our next album now with the prophecy. And it was just like, so we had the title, the mystic crystal, you know, in the back of our minds. And we just started writing stuff. And I remember we got a little bit in and we were like, guys, I think we, I think the first song, by the way, fully intending to write like a two minute kind of pop or whatever. And we just started driving down this path. And it was like, guys, I think we're actually writing the mystic crystal right now. Like this feel, this feels like we're kind of got, got some Zeppelin stuff going on. You know, this feels like we're, we're writing the, the epic song that we thought would be the last thing we wrote uh, on the album. And it just kind of came, we think we took four full day sessions to, to write the bulk of it spaced out over, you know, probably a month or so. Um, And it came, it actually came pretty quickly, came together pretty quickly for, for such a, a long song. We definitely went down some dead ends. There was a, a kind of like, mexican ballad style thing with a lot of like acoustic guitar that i really loved and jim really loved and danny was like this is this doesn't feel like he liked it but he's like this is not the right vibe for the song um uh for a while i was trying some other synthy stuff uh that didn't quite work the synthiest part is the uh kind of in the probably around the six or seven minute of the song uh, and that that's something I, I drafted on my own and then sent to the guys, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a few sessions and kind of took us all by surprise, but that's how, you know, creating stuff works. You're like, well, I guess, well, I guess this is happening. Hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. And speaking of creating things, uh, we'll move on to uh, another band you're a part of, of course, Starbomb. uh, being a video game show, we'd be, uh, remiss not to talk about it. So uh, I will ask, how did that come along? Because it's very much Ninja Sex Party and Aaron Hansen. 
Yeah. So that was, that was started. So, you know, Dan, of course, is part of Game Grumps, which is him, he and Aaron, but the idea for doing a song with NSP and, uh, and Ego Raptor was pre Danny joining Grumps. So that was Aaron basically saying, Hey guys, we like, do you want to do like kind of a hip hop thing together? And we were like, yes, of course, you know, that's that sounds great. And so we wrote uh, the song, the Kirby song on the first album together, widely considered correctly to be the worst Starbomb song, by the way. Uh, and so we wrote, wrote this song and it was like, yeah, cool. That sounds great. And then it was so much fun that we were like, well, this, we should just do an album of like video game songs. I mean, why not? Uh, and then at some point during that writing process, Danny joined Game Grumps. He was like, oh, well, now he and Aaron are hanging out all the time. So the uh, process became even easier. But that was, it was spaced out over probably a year writing all those songs. And that was also very much a trading files back and forth. A lot of that was written while I was in London and Danny was out here in LA. Um, so, speaking of best and worst songs, um, do you have a favorite song that you've written and like is there like do you prefer like one project over the other like do you prefer ninja sex party or like starbomb or do you like both equally uh in, I, I love i love them both in terms of like stylistic stuff uh nsp is a little more varied and so it's a little more fun to to write for but I actually had a really great time to the start, you know, when we did Starbomb, all that music, the, the instrumental music is hundred percent, just me uh, doing it in logic. And so it was really fun being like, okay, I'm going to try, like, I'm going to listen to I don't, so some rap artists and be like, Oh, what's sort of a beat like that or inspired by that, that I can try to come up with. So that was really fun because it was a different, it was a totally different challenge than, than writing an NSP song. You know, the hip hop beats are a little bit more repetitive, not, not to cast dispersion. This is not a negative statement at all, but you know, it's more of a loopy sort of thing usually. Uh, and that was, that was really fun, but I, I'd say just be for pure diversity of musical styles. Starbomb is a little narrower than NSP. And so NSP is a little more fun to, uh, to write for the, the real thing with Starbomb though, is it's just hard to write, comedic video game songs you know it's like after three albums of them and you know we were all kind of like oh i don't think we have any more ideas you know like uh it's it's, it's hard to come up with those songs and not have them feel you know like and, and for and to have them be good and to have them be stuff we like you know there's a lot of starbomb ideas we put out that we were like this is uh-uh. it's not really working <laughs> Uh, but I love those Star Bomb albums. Um, uh, and we have, a, we have a fun thing we're doing. We haven't really talked about it too much. So there's a little bit of an exclusive. But uh, there's going to be some Star Bomb vinyl. We went and uh, kind of remixed and mastered uh, all the albums. And we're going to put out kind of a box set thing uh, pretty soon. So that's in the works right now. I don't think we've actually talked about that. But... Uh, yeah, so that's that's on the agenda. Like that's getting printed now, and will hopefully be out in the next few months. So I've, that's I've huge. very <laughs> re- uh, I very recently revisited all that stuff, and you know when you revisit something you created a while ago, a lot of the times it, it's very plausible you can listen to it and be like, oh god, oh no, no. Uh, but I still think they're really fun and musically, I, I I'm very proud of them. I really like them. 
I was literally what? thinking before we came into this, um, before we came into this interview, I wonder if they have any vinyl. I haven't actually looked. There we go. Yeah, it's, we're, we're, we're going to do this. I have talked about, we're going to do an NSP. We did a little acoustic show a few months back and that we're going to put out as a vinyl uh, later in the year. And then at some point, probably next year, uh, we're going to look into doing like a lot more vinyl, maybe all the albums or maybe just, I don't know, like some kind of compilation type thing. But that process, it takes forever, like to print vinyl. Do you know one of the big vinyl printing plants in the world burned down? Oh my god! Really? Oh, no. Yeah, and so like there, there's there's been a bit of production delays. Also, pandemic has totally messed yeah. up supply chains. Uh, but uh, vinyl is taking a little longer than usual these days. But hopefully for 2022 we can do some more NSP vinyl because I, I I love vinyl. I want to do them. But the other thing is we want to do them right. So we want to make them set. You know, get them remastered for vinyl and not. You know, we don't want to just put it put out a you know kind of a boring thing that wouldn't be a value add we want to actually you know make it cool would you do uh, a classic black vinyl or would you do like a funky donkey vinyl uh well we're open to to, to anything yeah you know I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the start uh, the box set is going to be fun for starbomb there's some, there's some cool stuff in there yeah oh definitely keep your eyes out for that in the near future uh, hopefully anyway um but no uh we'll jump back a little bit you did mention the pandemic and i figure we'll mention it now rather than bring it up again and bring things down. Um, how has the pandemic and COVID affected your writing and um, the release of music on your end? It, uh, we've been lucky that we didn't get hit super hard, but we couldn't all be in the same room, you know? Uh, and so we, uh, we were able to write before. So pandemic, you know, started in whatever, February, March of 2020. And uh, we were able to pretty early on get everyone tested and get like after things settled down a bit and we knew where things were. So not this initial like, oh my God, what's going on? Uh, but that summer we were able to get everyone tested and get in a studio and record a full album. And that was the first time I had hung out with people <laughs> like since the pandemic. Uh, so we, we got twerp into, uh, into this, this, uh, purple ray room that I was talking about and recorded the next NSP album. But, you know, we were very like, just trying to be very careful and scientific about it. Everyone had to be tested, you know, the day before and have a negative result and being careful about everything. But we did do that and we're able to basically record our album. That's hopefully going to come out this fall where we got twerp to re-record -re old NSP songs that we wrote pre-twerp and, uh, and, and do a full album of basically better versions than we could do originally of our, uh, of our original songs. And that was, so we were going to try to do an original album last year. And once it was clear, we couldn't all be in the same room. It was like, well, we had this idea for a while of twerp re-recording our old stuff. And it was like, that's that, that we can actually do remotely effectively and and then just need to be in the studio for a couple of days to record it. So it kind of messed up the writing process a lot. Uh, it, it was easier with, I've been doing some kids music too during the past year for this band Go Banana Go. And that we, I, we were able to do remotely very, very effectively because it was a lot more digital and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it really, it messed up our plans for, well, you know, a lot of people went through a lot worse stuff than than we did, but certainly we had plans to write, you know, a new original album and tour and blah, blah, blah. And 
all that kind of went out the window, but we were able to pivot pretty quick into something that worked. We were also going to do a lot more live action music videos and then had to uh, do all those animated. But one of those was uh, Welcome to My Parents' House, which was not supposed to be animated originally. And now I think is my favorite animated video of ours. So, <laughs> you know, can't really. I was on repeat in my living room for a long time and I was at my parents' house and I yeah. was like, I'm sorry, guys. This is just my vibe right now. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love that song and that video. Uh, Shuteru animated it. He did such a such an incredible gob, uh, gob job. That guy's just incredible. Mm. And and you mentioned uh, Go Banana Go just a minute ago. Uh, so I just want to ask, what inspired you to look into uh, making a children's album? Uh, having a kid. <laughs> uh, so I was in the studio one day with our producer Jim, who also has young children. And uh, we, it was like kind of group mind or whatever. We just kind of looked at each other. I was talking about something and we were both like, we should do a children's album. Uh, and we'd been kind of thinking of it independently. And it was like, yeah, we'll just do it together. Uh, and it, I mean, that, you know, he has, he has two kids. I have one, but they're all roughly the same age. And it was like, well, we have little idea machines and focus groups at home that and we got our kids to sing on the album uh it's it's great but every so often like we'll just text each other and i'll be like you you know you won't believe audrey just said whatever banana circus and it's like yeah we should write a song called banana circus you know because kids just say these wild things off the top of their heads uh and half of them are incredible children's song ideas so it was really just having a kid and also kids music is fun. It's, you know, it's not complicated. You can make it interesting, uh, but you don't have to like overthink it in the way we overthink NSP stuff. It can be just very direct and silly. And that's, it, it's fun to write that stuff. Mm, very much so. Do you think you'll find yourself maybe writing another uh, kids album in the future? Oh yeah. We're, we're, we actually have a lot of material we're going to keep putting out. So we did, we have a full album with Go Banana Go. We did put out an EP with uh, this guy, Flula Borg, who's a German comedian. is very funny. And we have a couple, we have another EP for that coming out. I don't know, next couple of months, probably. Ooh, so exciting. We're, we're just, that train just keeps on rolling. Like we just keep having ideas for songs and, and putting them down. Yeah. And you mentioned, of course, that you are a father. And I just wanted to ask, um, do you, did you find having a kid changes uh, at least with your music and the Ninja Brian character, uh, some of the jokes that might have been written or how you presented that character. Because I imagine that's a, that must be a fun character to explain, uh, not only to Audrey, your daughter, um, but to family and friends for the first time. Yeah, it didn't change so much, to be honest. I mean, it's, you know, it, it was kind of its own thing. It It, it did... You know, that, that band, NSP has been going long enough where I had a good idea of the character. So I can't say it really changed uh, too much about the the ideas for songwriting or whatever. It does present a problem. My daughter is seven now, and she's just at an age where it's like, maybe now we start letting her listen to the the comedy songs. She's been listening to the covers forever and some of the uh, the comedy songs without swearing. Like she's loved Release the Kraken for a long time because that's basically a little cartoon video. I can show her, uh, but I think she's getting probably not quite yet, but getting close to an age where she can just listen to uncensored uh, NSP songs. What we do do is we play the songs for her 
ones that don't have too much swearing. And then where there are moments of swearing, we sing very loudly uh, other lyrics uh, over those. So in the song, It's Bedtime, there's a, uh, a particular curse word that gets dropped. It says it's something bedtime. And we just scream, it's Audrey's bedtime. Really, really loud. Uh, so we found little workarounds for, for some of them, but also some of them are not like, you know, they're just too adult. The really sexual stuff is not appropriate for a seven-year-old. So that is probably a few years <laughs> at least uh, away, but it is interesting. She actually went to, she goes to a, uh, a summer camp and they play music in the morning when the kids are coming in. They're all outdoors, but they have these big speakers. And she went up to request a song. She asked her counselor, she was like, oh, can I request a song from Ninja Sex Party? And the counselor was like, you can't ask for that band, honey. <laughs> and she was like, but that's my dad's band. I was like, yeah, but we can't, we can't. And she was she wanted them to play like Take On Me or uh, We Built This City or one of the covers, you know, not a comedy song at all. But they were just like, yeah, yeah we can't have seven-year-olds requesting sex bands. Like it's just a little much. Mm, very much so. Um, and I will ask as well, you do have another project, uh, of course, with uh, Leighton, Leighton Nights with Brian Wecht. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, would you be able to maybe enlighten us just a little bit? Sure. So Leighton Night with Brian Wecht is a podcast that I do with my co-host Leighton Gray. She is the co-creator of the indie video game Dream Daddy, which was a, a dating sim, very popular indie dating sim that came out oh, it was probably three, four years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, so we started doing a podcast together where we talked to digital creators and it's just very loose, long form conversations, not really interviews, uh, although occasionally we ask substantive questions if, you know, we, we forget to be uh, cavalier and actually, you know, we generally, it, it's a pretty chill, just like talking to interesting people in the digital space. Uh, we've talked to science communicators, game devs, uh, YouTubers, you know, musicians, anyone who's doing something interesting digitally is, is fair game for us to, to talk to. So yeah, but it's a, it's a podcast and it's a lot of fun. Layton's the best. She is a really fun, interesting and talented person. And uh, did you guys play Dream Daddy at all? I touched on it a little bit. It was, uh, I'm not the biggest dating sim person, but it was a fun yeah. little uh, romp. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, yeah. Say, I, I only played it a little bit myself. I'm a voice in it. Uh, but yeah, I'm also not much of a dating sim person, but what I did play was pretty great. How was yeah, that? Um, oh, sorry. Uh, Connor, our previous EP from last year, he used to mention that, um, <laughs> that video game a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's great. The, the writing, you know, I, I was there in the office while Leighton and Vernon were writing it and it's just a really smart game. You know, and it's as they have said many times, it's, you know, the the surface is it's a dating sim where dads date each other. But really what it is, is it's a game about what it means to be a family and, you know, uh, a, a game about who you, you know, how you uh, surround yourself with people you love. So in the uh, under the umbrella of, oh, it's a dad dating simulator. There's this very well-written and and very sweet message that, that's really at the heart of the game. Mm, definitely, definitely. And I will ask, uh, 
obviously you said you're you're a voice in the game. Did you find that to be maybe off-putting in any way to play the game and hear your own voice uh, talking back to you? No, it was fine. I was a I was a depressed quiz master, which sure that tracks. Like it was great. Fair, yeah. fair. And we are leading to the, uh, I guess, the end of the interview. So I will ask some final questions. Um, obviously, you've worked with uh, many other musicians in your time uh, as a musician. How, how has that been working alongside people? And are there any, any musicians that uh, come out to stand out to you as needing more or deserving a lot more recognition than they get? Uh, well, I, the first thing I'll say is twerp. Like I, I could not be a bigger fan of twerp. I think those guys are just phenomenal. Uh, I, I love them so, so much as people and as musicians. I just think they're, they're the best. Uh, I think they should be the most famous band in the world. I, I cannot say enough nice things about them. Uh, a, another band we've toured with that you guys probably saw was planet booty. Uh, but did we, they were, they were with us in Australia, right? Did they come to that? I, can't I don't think they were actually. Okay. I, that, that was my big, oh, right. um, introduction to uh, twerp. Sorry. So, that's so. right. Uh, booty, I think joined us on the last gig of that tour, but not the whole thing. Uh, but planet booty, they're an Oakland base, uh, sort of hip hop trio that sings about, you know, basically body positivity and sex positivity and inclusiveness. And they're just so fun. And the songs are amazing. I, I love planet booty. I, I very, I've told this to them, but very honestly, whenever I see them, uh, I, I start crying because their songs are so positive and I think how lucky am I to be working with these wonderful guys who are just spreading this message of joy while, you know, getting half naked and sweating around the stage. Uh, it, it's, it's really, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of other people we've worked with. Super guitar bros are incredible. Uh, love, love those dudes. Uh, really talented guitarists. Um, I'm trying to think who else, who else is on the list? Uh Oh, well, you know, one guy I just did some stuff with is Jonathan Young, who you might know from YouTube, who's a really excellent musician. Uh, and we just kind of connected, I think, over Twitter. He'd done an NSP cover a few years back. And we, I, I just guessed it on a track of his. And he, well, I can't give anything away, but we, we have something else in the works. But uh, I, I think that guy's amazing. And, you know, his he just put out a really... Uh, great album uh, under the band Galactokraken, which is worth checking out because it's just awesome. So uh, yeah, Jonathan Young too. I can definitely uh, vouch for the Jonathan Young um, uh, stuff. Definitely check him out. One of my favorites. Um, yeah. But I will ask, leading in, as I said to the end, so two last questions. Are there any plans for a tour post-COVID? Yep, we're getting holds now. So unfortunately for you guys, it's going to be North America. But uh, we will be back, you know, uh, in Australia at some point, but probably in 20, 2022, we're looking at uh, some dates for U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Exciting, exciting. And last question. Do you have, obviously you are huge, uh, you've got plenty, plenty of stuff to promote. So uh, where can we find anything that you, Brian <laughs> Wecht, are a part of? Uh, well, you can find me online at, at Bwecht, uh, B-W-E-C-H-T, on pretty much all the socials. 
Uh, and really the, the, the most regular thing I'm doing right now that I'd like people to check out is the podcast, uh, with, with Layton. So that's Layton night with Brian Wecht. If you search for that, you can find us on any, you know, anywhere you find podcasts. So that's L E I G H T O N. That's how you spell Layton. So if you look for Layton night with Brian Wecht, you can find us wherever you like podcasts. Exciting. Exciting. Um, so obviously thank you for joining us on this interview it was a wonderful opportunity to meet you and get to talk to you uh hopefully we see you later in the year we might plan some stuff later on hint hint um but no thank you for joining us and yeah (laughs) yeah this was great guys thank you all so much i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me